Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. I hope you'll all check out the all new Zibby Mag, Z I B B Y M A G, the literary lifestyle destination with essays, book news, a lit lifestyle feature, and even some classes. Check it out, zibbymag.com. Lauren Willig is one of the co-authors of The Lost Summers of Newport, along with Beatrice Williams and Karen White. She is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of The Summer Country, The Ashford Affair, That Summer, The Other Daughter, and The English Wife, as well as the RITA award-winning Pink Carnation series. 
An alumna of Yale University, she has a graduate degree in history from Harvard and a JD from Harvard Law School. She lives in New York City with her husband, preschooler, baby, and lots and lots of coffee. <laughs> Sounds like me. I actually met Lauren for a book event for our mutual friend, Danielle Ferris Mafood, who is wonderful also and, and authored a book with, co-authored a book with Jenny Judson. So anyway, that's Lauren. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the lost summers of Newport and your whole career and all the good stuff. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited that we were introduced by Danielle Ferris, Mafood, my really good friend from college and your preschool co-mom or whatever you call it. Exactly. It's so lovely to have a sympathetic fellow writer there to discuss (laughs) while we're waiting for preschool pickup. (laughs) (laughs) I know we were at her event for the last season, the last, yeah, the last season, which she co-authored with Jenny Judson. And, you know, us being there, it just highlights this, not the difficulty, but like the challenge in getting the word out about any book, right? We, we, We work so hard on all these books and then you have events and you hope people come and I don't know, but at least you meet like, minded people at at these events too. So that's wonderful. I know it's always so much fun, all the intersections, because you always bump into people you knew that you didn't know them. It's like, wait, the world only has 10 people in it. How did this happen? I know, exactly. (laughs) Okay, first, let's talk about the lost summers of Newport. I'm actually going to Newport soon for some book events. So this is excellent preparatory material. (laughs) Can you tell listeners what this book, which you co-authored with Beatrice Williams and Karen White is about? Sure. It covers three periods of Newport history. We open in 2019. We did not want to deal with the pandemic. When a single mom is working on a mansion makeover show, her career is in tatters. She needs this in order to salvage her TV producer career. But the problem is the mansion that the show is making over belongs to the reclusive Lucky Sprog, the matriarch of the Sprog family, who is given very distinct orders about where the show is and isn't allowed to go. But the producers want to dig up the dirt about the Sprog family going back to the 1890s, to the Gilded Age, where the young Sprague heiress, an heiress from a Colorado mining fortune, totally new money, no polish, tried to break into Newport society with a daring marriage to an Italian prince. And so that's, we go back in time to 1899, when a young music teacher is hired to teach Mabel Sprague arias to catch the ear and the heart of the prince. Then 50 years later, we join her granddaughter, Lucky Sprague, who is at that point a young matron in the 1950s in Newport. As the preservation movement is getting underway, Lucky is unhappily married to her cousin, just, well, I guess you could call him a step-cousin, her step-cousin. Sty Sprague, no blood relation, we want to make clear. (laughs) And also working on the Tiffany Ball with Jackie Kennedy and others, which is raising money for preserving these houses that are beginning to fall into disrepair that can't be kept up as they once were. And on the night of the Tiffany Ball, something shocking happens that changes Lucky's life forever. So our poor 2019 heroine, Andy, is there digging up all the dirt from the 1890s and the 1950s. Wow. How did you, the three of you, A, come up with this idea and B, divide the writing of it? Did you each take a character, like a timeline? Well, with our first book, we sort of stumbled into our process by accident. And what we wound up doing was we got together in person. We plotted the whole thing out. I mean, just it's amazing when we get together 
we call ourselves the unibrain because there's this incredible synergy and these ideas just unspool and the characters feel so real. It's like they're sitting on the table in between us. Sometimes they're sort of squatting there mocking us, but you know, you take what you can get. But anyway, so what we do is we plot the entire book out together. We do a chapter by chapter outline. And only then, once the whole book is there in front of us and we've all contributed, do we each claim a character. And then we go back to our own little parts of the world. I'm in New York, Beatrice is in Connecticut, Karen's way down south in Georgia, and we write round robin. And so that's how our process works. So we're always... What does that mean, write round robin? So the books, we always alternate chapters between the time periods. So in Lost Summers of Newport, we start in 2019 with Andy, then move to 1899 with Ellen and 1957 with Lucky. So whoever, and we never tell who wrote which character, but whoever wrote Andy wrote the first chapter, then emailed it to whoever wrote Ellen. And then whoever wrote Ellen emailed those chapters to whoever wrote Lucky. And so each of us, before we start our own chapter, is always reading the previous two chapters written by the other two. Because we found that way, I mean, we're actually, we've decided it's because we're all, we've all been choral singers at some point or another. When we read each other's words, our voices blend. So you always read the other chapters right before you write your own, and then you pick up on their themes and symbolism and voices, and it all sort of melts into something unique and different. And that's how we write. So we write it in exactly the order in which you read it as it appears on the page. That is so interesting. Yeah, and as for the idea, this was... <laughs> so we like to tease Beatrice about her procrastinate strolling habits. Not strolling, sorry. Not enough coffee. Procrastinate <laughs> Where in the morning she likes to um, peruse highbrow publications like the Daily Telegraph and the Daily Mail. And she found this article about a mansion makeover show in Britain. You know, the stately pile being invaded by camera crews, but the family needs them because they need to repair the roof. On the other hand, they don't want them digging into family secrets, which, of course, the camera crews are there to do. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the best idea for a book. Let's move it to the U- to the U.S. And we were like, so where, where can we find a good stately pile? And we're like, <laughs> of course, Newport. Newport is synonymous with stately piles. And so that's how the idea started. And we were in love with it, partially because... We are all obsessed with historic house restoration, but particularly Karen, her daughter has a degree in historic preservation from, gosh, I forget the exact name of the school, but the place in Charleston where they do very serious historic preservation. And, you know, I just like watching cheap old houses. And so between the three of us, we were like, oh my gosh, how fun. And then from there, we got into the historical periods. That's great. I love this idea. I mean, how fun to collaborate with two like-minded, I've already said like-minded, I don't know what's wrong with me, two other amazing authors to, it's like a, it's like a writing assignment, if you will. Like it's like a, but yet you come out with these great books. Like, it's not like you're just having fun. You actually are producing the books. It's, it's amazing. It's great. I mean, it is, but I mean, but we're also having fun and that's how it all started. We were drinking at a bar one night and we were like, oh my God, why can't we just be together always? And then one of us, I, I can't remember which one we were. We were several cocktails and a few balls of wine in. One of us was like, oh my God, it's so simple. If we write a book together, our publisher will have to tour us together and pay for our girls trip. And we were like, this is the best idea ever. <laughs> and we bought 
to Karen's editor and we're like, oh my God, we have the best idea. And she, she does not drink. She sort of moved out the blast of her alcohol fumes and was like, why don't you go upstairs, have some aspirin, drink a lot of water. And I think she was horrified when we came back to her several months later and we're like, so this book idea, we actually are going to write a book together. And everyone was horrified. Our agents were horrified. Our editors were horrified. They were all like, but anthologies don't sell. And we're like, but it's not an anthology. It's a single book. And they're like, but there are three of you. How can that be a single book? But they humored us. It was purely a humor buy. And then they got the book and they're like, oh, it's actually a book. And we're like, yes. And now you will continue to pay for our girls trips. Wow. And has that happened? Have you gotten all expense paid girls trips as a result? (laughs) We do. Well, actually, now we have sort of like a regular, I mean, it's all work, 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 but we get together at the beginning and the end of each book. And of course, book tour, where we just have such a blast. So now we know like at least three times a year, we will have, you know, tax deductible or publisher paid excuses to get together, drink lots of Prosecco and produce a book at the end of it. Wow. Very smart. My wheels are turning. I'm like, who would I do this with? Like, what a great idea. (laughs) But you also all have your own careers. Like, how are you doing this with writing your own books and managing all that? Is this just like, you know, this interstitial type of work? Well, exactly. We like to joke that the try books break the time-space continuum because that was a big concern when we first went to our agents with this idea, with the idea for our first book, The Forgotten Room. They were all like, but you're all under deadline. In fact, I had just had my first kid and was writing two books a year at the time. And so I wasn't just under deadline. I was so far behind deadline. It was like, my deadlines were miles away from me. <laughs> but anyway, but we, we so badly wanted to do it. And they humored us. And we discovered that actually the crazy thing that happens is we're more productive when we're writing the Team W books together. Because you always get to a point in your own work, I know you know this too, where you just, you get stuck. The characters are out to lunch. They're not talking to you. And you know there's something wrong with your manuscript. But you don't know what it is. For me, it's usually... I have a plot idea, but my characters have developed in another direction and I'm trying to force them to do what I thought they should do. And they're like, no, strike. (laughs) And the Team W book comes across your email inbox. It's such a great excuse to pull back, do something else. And we outline the book. So your portion is already there and you come out of writing your chapter like, wait, I do know how to write. I know how to do this. And it energizes you to go back to your own work. And so instead of being a time suck, it's it's like Hermione Granger's time turner. It adds extra time. Wow. And talk about your own books for a minute and how you got started. How did you even get started in the writing world? And like, how did we get to here? Well, I was an annoying kid who announced my entire first grade class that I was going to be a novelist when I grew up. And I sort of feel like when you make that declaration in a class of 27 girls, it's really hard to walk back. (laughs) So I spent my misspent youth producing all sorts of really bad derivative manuscripts. And then I went off to grad school to get a PhD in Tudor Stewart, England, in the theory that this would help me write completely accurate historical novels. I was going to write this doorstop work about the English Civil War, but, you know, dissertations are very boring things. And while I was drowning in footnotes, I was like, I've got to do something to keep myself sane. So I wrote a swashbuckling Regency romp set during the Napoleonic Wars, you know, with a total spoof on the Scarlet Pimpernel, 
spies in black masks swinging through windows, mistake identities, Napoleon doing stupid things. It was like a Julia Quinn, Georgia Hire, Baroness Orksy mashup. And I passed it around my friends just for fun. And one of those friends had a friend who was an agent. And I got a call out of the blue being like, hi, I want to represent you. And I spilled coffee all over myself. And anyway, <laughs> it was the book that was never meant to be published. The book that was just for fun. I wound up signing my first book contract at 26 in my first month at Harvard Law. So it was this really weird journey. You finished your PhD and then went to law school. Well, actually, my fourth year of grad school, I was like, wait, I really don't like writing student papers. And I like researching lots of things, not just three years of the English Civil War. Maybe I'm not actually cut out for academia, but I should kind of finish the PhD because I've been working on it. So I walked down the block to Harvard Law and started there with the idea that I was going to do a joint PhD, JD, finish up the PhD while I was getting my JD. And I got this book contract. And it was a two-book contract. Everybody, everyone's like, wait, but you can't write a book as a 1L. Just give them the book you've already written. I was like, but they might come to their senses. No one's going to let me write another book once they publish the first one. So I need to take the two-book contract. And so the PhD kind of gently, that dissertation is still ABD. For a while, I used to like, take out, blow the dust off it. But it's been like 20 years now. So I figured that ship has probably sailed. But in the end, I wound up having two books come out while I was in law school instead. So that was crazy. Oh my gosh. Law school is, so, I mean, but that's the most intense environment ever. Like I read Scott Turow's 1L, so I feel like I'm an authority on this. Yeah. There were a lot of people in my class at HLS acting out 1L, but in some ways that's why having book deadlines helped because I couldn't play the paper chase game because I was too busy being like, so wait, if my heroine goes into that deserted garden and this guy comes out from the ballroom, what's going to happen? So it actually made law school a lot easier. Wow. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because 
even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. I love this idea that every time you add work, everything is easier. Like it never <laughs> takes away. It's all this like additive, this magic power of like more work is making my life better. Actually, yes. Although sometimes that kind of, it does backfire periodically, but I call it my theory of productive procrastination because I will only work on something if I'm avoiding something else. So the trick is to layer just the right number of things to avoid. So you get done the things you actually need to get done. The other day I did like two big presentations like in Canva, like about Zimmy Books, the company. And I'm like, I'm doing this because I really should be sitting on this plane working on my novel, but instead I am going to do a second PowerPoint presentation here. (laughs) You have people who have layered on so many things. No, but it, uh, so I, I get procrastination in other productive ways, but, but the way you do it, I mean, that's amazing. Adding in a novel as the extra, it seems, I mean, that's great. It's just amazing. You know, that was before I had kids and, you know, it was so it's easy manipulating things like law school, school schedules and whatnot around your writing schedule. When you add real life people, that's just a whole other level of difficulty. I had not anticipated it. Yeah. So tell me about that. How did, so how did you manage it? (laughs) Well, by the time I had kids, mercifully, I was writing full time. I am in such awe of people who have day jobs and kids and write, because that is a level of juggling. I don't think even with my theory of productive procrastination, I think I would just crumple under the weight. Wow. Okay. So take us through the rest of your career, two books while you were in Harvard law school, keep going. <laughs> oh gosh. So my third book came out my first week as a litigator at Cravath, which was fun. You know, people would sidle up to me and be like, so I saw your book in the partner's office, which is always entertaining. But I lasted as a litigator for a grand total of a year and a half before I was like, book deadlines and briefs don't really go together. I was terrified of turning in the wrong thing to the wrong people, which would have been really bad on many levels. So I have, I left the law to write full time back in 2008. And I've been doing this ever since. For a long time, I was writing the series about swashbuckling spies during Napoleonic Wars, the Pink Carnation series. But then the world got more serious. I got older, I had kids. So I started writing more serious books in sort of the Kate Morden vein of, you know, past, present, interwoven stories. And that's really largely sort of what I've still been evolving around. A lot of historical sagas. I love getting to have an excuse to jump around and research different time periods and be like, but it's for work. (laughs) So how many books in total have you written, co-written or written on your own or both? Both. So I am working on, I think number 24 and 25 right now, because we're working on a tri-book and I'm working on an independent book. So I think it's something like five tri-books right now, 20 independent books. Unreal. It's for a really long time. No, but still it's that the the fact that like the fountain of ideas does not ever run out. Like, isn't that a fear that like one day you're just going to like get to the end and there won't be any material left? 
Well, it's always the opposite. I'm always finding things and being like, what if, what would this person have, you know, how would someone have felt in this situation? Or for me, it's always absences. They're the bits that are missing from a story. I'm like, but wait. So like the book I'm working on right now is about the Manhattan well murder, which is New York's first fully recorded, well, actually America's first fully recorded murder trial. And it's a really famous case. Hamilton and Burr were counsel for the defense. But there's this big hole where the murdered woman should be, where no one has ran anything about her, who she was. A lot of the theories of the murder make very little sense to me because no one's fleshed out this woman's personality. And I randomly read a book about this because a friend sent it to me. I was like, but wait. There's something missing from the story. This woman is missing from the story. I went down this crazy rabbit hole. And that's how most of my solo books start with my being like, but wait, what are they not telling us here? Why has no one filled in this gap? And I'll start hunting and find crazy things. So what did you find about the woman? Well, I'm still working on that (laughs) one. But oh, just all sorts of stuff. Like no one had bothered. I mean, this is sort of a whole different rant, but this was one of those cases where no one had bothered to look at the personality and the childhood of the murdered woman, figure out who she was and what what might have happened in the lead up to her death. But this is something I can be totally obsessive and talk too much about. So I should probably save it for two years from now when that book okay, comes out. Okay, fine. That sounds it's, really it's interesting. Like, it's what I call author lag, where the book you're working on is always like two years away. And the book that you're talking about, usually you wrote two years ago. So you yeah. always have to think up your brain. Interesting. Well, that sounds amazing. And then, are, and then you're also doing another try book, you call, as you call them. Yes, we're actually we're working. I think I'm just allowed to tell you because we like to keep this stuff secret, just because we like to mess with people. But it's set in Scotland, and so we're having so much fun with that. I like to call it our Monarch of the Glen meets Knives Out book. Wow. And so, but a lot of the year has to be spent in publicity. I mean, it's one thing to do the production of the words, but then the marketing of the end product, that must take a while too. It's funny how much things have changed. With my first book, The Secret History of the Pink Carnation, back in 2004, 2005, I remember being like, do I need to do anything? And they were like, no, 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 we do all of this. You just need to write the next book. And, you know, occasionally phone in for radio interviews because this was the dark ages. I'd be there in my fuzzy slippers with my landline talking to random radio stations. And now I'm like, I think back wistfully on the days of, no, no, you just write the next book because, you know, there's so much marketing and publicity. But I find I've always written in fits and starts. I'm either producing, you know, 30 pages a day or staring at the same paragraph. And I think, which may be a result of my having written around academic schedules and my lawyer life where you had to cram the writing in, or maybe just the way my brain works. So I find like I'll have marketing phases where I do nothing but drive my poor marketing woman at my publishing house crazy. I was being like, oh, I just had this really great idea. And she's like, no. Or I'm deep down the rabbit hole, you know, with my characters sort of in my own world, trying desperately to remember, wait, where are my kids' names again? Oh my gosh. Wait, I want to hear your good marketing ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently not that good. uh, Well, I don't know. I love rethinking things. On this new website called, I think it's like something like up printing. I'm like, I can make these cool little doodads on it. It's really, it's such a time waste. I think it's really, it's, it's again, it's, I think it's like back to productive procrastination. There's clearly something in my book that's not working. And so designing notepads with the next book's cover on it gives me time for my brain to work out whatever the plot problem is, or at least that's my excuse. 
<laughs> well, if it works, I mean, keep going. Procrastinate. I mean, this is the most effective procrastination I've ever heard of. It's, it's amazing. And how do you deal with kids and work? Like, I know that's a big question, but do you, I mean, I feel like creative pursuits, can you fit it into like a, they're at school, I'm going to get it all done type of time frame, or, or how do you do it? Well, when my, my older daughter was in preschool and, you know, it's the three hours a day, <laughs> I used to go to the, I would do the drop off and then go to the nearest Starbucks and just perch there with my computer until it was time to run and be the last mom on the pickup line. And, you know, I found when I am in hardcore deadline mode, I can work that way because I am really, really focused. I think it's harder when I am scattered and trying to do too many things at the same time, because then, so then everything expands to take more time. So, you know, I feel like I could not do what I do without childcare and or school. Like when the pandemic happened, I finished, you know, we went into lockdown and my husband was working from home and there was no childcare and there was Zoom school for my older one, but the younger one was two and also a disaster magnet and needed someone with him 24 seven. And so my husband gave me two hours a day. And I found I could finish, I wrote a chapter a day on my last book, Band of Sisters, in that two hours a day. And I finished the book on deadline, literally on the day of deadline. Like, actually, I needed an extra hour beyond what my husband could give me. So I let the kids play while I set up my computer in the dining room. And there was suddenly this screaming. They had somehow taken my daughter's Barbie dreamhouse pool into the kitchen and filled it with water. And we're having a Barbie pool party, which went really well until they flooded the kitchen and oh, started. Oh. I just needed one hour to finish the book on deadline, but the book got in. I mean, the kitchen floor was really clean after that, but I found that, you know, I, it was really hard to maintain that kind of schedule on two hours a day when I was then starting the next book. And it made me, and I wound up pushing that next book, which is coming on March, by the way, it's another historical called two wars and a wedding. And, but I wound up pushing that book a full year back because I just, I could not do it without regular school and childcare. And so I sort of feel like some, some people like to pretend to be superwoman. And I think it's very hard for other people to hear that and think, well, I'm not doing this. She's writing books with all these kids around and, you know, has no help. And it's like, wait, no, actually I have help. I could not do it without help. If I didn't have help, I wouldn't be writing books. I couldn't do it without being divorced. Like I have all okay. these, I have all the, I mean, seriously, I have long weekends every other weekend and I get so much done and I ca catch up and I, you know, if I didn't have these big breaks, there's no way, there's just no way. Honestly, that sounds amazing. Huh? My husband, <laughs> worry. No, it's sad. I mean, I would much rather be less productive and have my kids all the time, but this is life. So what are you going to do? Anyway, perks to everything. And this has been amazing. What advice do you have for aspiring authors? Not to try to get things right. Don't give yourself a right or wrong. Just let yourself play. Because sometimes the book that works may be the book you never intended to write. Books go in directions you didn't think they would. So just give yourself grace and just put words on a page and see where they go. But don't, don't super edit yourself in the process. 
Excellent. Lauren, I'm so unbelievably impressed by you. I mean, you are so brilliant and accomplished and articulate and a great writer and you have all the things. It's really inspiring and yet you're humble and it's just amazing. I'm just so excited our paths crossed. I got to hear your story and how the love and fun of writing and this procrastination technique really fuels you and makes you do all these amazing projects. It's awesome. It's really awesome. Oh, thank you. Well, the feeling is entirely mutual. And I feel like you are the queen of juggling multiple projects. I mean, I don't know. That's just how my brain works. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I have like short circuits or something, but anyway. <laughs> well, congratulations. Lost Summers of Newport. So exciting and so much more to come from you. So I just can't wait to be along for the ride. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. It was so much fun. Thank you. All right. Bye, Lauren. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.